bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 22 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and on this episode, I will be covering episodes 11 and 12 of Season 1. And, unlike the last two weeks, I will not be going this alone, as I'll be joined by... Well, I am joined, actually, by Bob Fisher. Hello. Thanks hey. for having me back. Ah, no problem. It's always it's always fun having you on. So, Bob, how have you been lately? Not bad. Not bad. Been doing a lot of good comic book reading, actually, lately. I've been in a really good comic book mode lately. Superman. Been reading a lot of Silver Age, gold, some Gold Age, but mostly Silver Age. Getting back to my roots. So... I've actually been enjoying it. And the new stuff from DC is not bad. I'm enjoying comics right now. So, yeah, yeah it, having a good a, time. It's been a long time since we've been able to say that we've been enjoying the current comics. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> and most of the fandom, Superman fandom, it's rare that we're seeing. We're seeing a few voices out there in the in, in the internet out there that are not real pleased with the new direction of the comics. But most people seem to be really pleased with what's going on at DC right now. So we'll see. We'll the, see. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. And actually, you mentioned the Silver Age. I just, before we started recording a little while ago, I loaded into my tablet the 80-page giant number three. Oh, good, good. Are you listening to John and I talk about these? Oh, of course. <laughs> We're having a good time. I am. John's uh, a good, fun guy to get to know, and he's fun to podcast with. I'm speaking, by the way, if you guys don't know, I'm speaking of John M. Wilson. And he and I do a show called The Giant Superman Podcast, where we basically take a look at the Silver Age through those 80-page giants. And we've recorded three plus a, a giant Secret Origins 25 cent giant 80 page giant of secret origin so we've done three of those we've got we'll be recording in the next week or so number four and a couple of surprises so Ooh, i'm having we, a good time with that good we like surprises <laughs> good so well, we, we've got some tonight that's for sure oh we, we sure do we've, yeah, we've got all kinds of stuff tonight we've got some wrestling and we've got some Spooky deserted villages. So spooky is the word I was going to use. Exactly. Right. We have a little spooky, little mystery here. A little spooky mystery. Yeah, we have some pressure points and some and some mystery. So why don't we take a quick break? I'll play a promo, and we'll come back with no holds barred. Cool. Hang around. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com
Welcome back, folks. And as promised, Bob and I are going to head right along. We're going to go right into No Holds Bar. Original broadcast date was November 28th, 1952. Written by Peter Dixon and directed by Lee Sholem. Guest cast included Malcolm Mealy as Wayne Winchester. Ironically, Malcolm Mealy is going to be in both episodes we covered tonight. One of my notes. Yep, he's also in Deserted Village. Richard Reeves, no relation to George Reeves, makes his first of, uh, I believe, six appearances throughout the course of the series as Bad Luck Brannigan. Dick Elliott, who makes three appearances on the show as Sam Bleeker. Tito Ronaldo as Swami Ram. Herb Vigran as Mortimer Murray. We'll see this actor again several times. Mm-hmm. Bill Kennedy as the wrestling announcer. And Henry Kolke as Crusher. We'll move right into our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Professional wrestler Bad Luck Brannigan has placed seven opponents in the hospital with his infamous paralyzer hold during his recent matches. Daily Planet editor Perry White believes that there is something crooked in the way Brannigan competes. Come in, Kent. Did you read this? Oh, yes. Seven men in the hospital. It's incredible, Chief. I'm going to put a stop to it. That's the last thing I do. Ever hear of Wayne Winchester? The name sounds vaguely familiar. He was intercollegiate wrestling champion last year. Oh, yes. Well, he's coming down here tonight to watch Brannigan wrestle Simmons on television. I'm going to hire him to find out something about this paralyzer hold of Brannigan's. I might be able to get some dope for you from Sam Bleeker. He books all the wrestling matches at the arena. He's a good friend of mine. No, we've got to have an expert wrestler, someone who knows the holds. I know it's crooked because Brannigan's manager, a bird named Murray, is crooked. But we've got to find out just what they're doing. Well, Chief, if I can be of any help... I'd like you and Lois to come down here tonight and watch it with us. All right. What time? Ten o'clock. We'll be here. Fine. While watching Brannigan on television with the Chief and reporters Lois Lane and Clark Kent, Wayne says that he never saw a fighting style like Brannigan's in college. Bad luck, Brannigan's paralyzer, the hole that's put seven wrestlers in the hospital. Well, frankly, I never saw wrestling like that in college. It looks more like a serious attempt at murder. That's exactly the way it looks to me. And I'm counting on you to help the planet prove it. What do you think about it, Kent? Hmm? Oh, I wasn't watching very closely. What? I mean, I was watching Brannigan's fingers. Oh, great. Did he have a nice manicure? Ow! I was just trying one of those holes on myself. Fine, Olson. If Winchester here can get any idea how that paralyzer works, he can run some tests on you. That's an assignment. Now, Kent, this wrestling story can be big. I want you to give Wayne all the help you can. And both of you stay out of dark alleys. Things are tough for wrestling promoter Sam Bleeker. Bleeker tells his friend, Clark Kent, of this while giving him ringside seats to Friday's match at the arena. Using his super hearing, Clark overhears details of Bleeker's discussion with Murray. All right, all right, you got me over a barrel. Well, what's your proposition? Same deal, Bleeker. You give me 60% of your stock in the arena and the wrestling syndicate, from then on we work together. Boy, you're crazy. I can't do it. You gotta do it, fella. The only wrestlers that'll be able to walk will be the boys I'm handling. Well, I don't know. I'll have to talk it over the boys first. But look, I gotta have a feature match for Friday. Okay, I'll let you have Brannigan. If you match him with the Golden Adonis. No, no, not Adonis. Why, I love him like he was my own brother. Besides, he's the biggest attraction I've got. I don't want to get him crippled. Okay, okay, if Brannigan promises not to use the paralyzer. No promises. May the best man win. What can I do? Already I lose. Now get going and talk to your partners, Bleeker. I ain't giving you much more time. Wayne Winchester wants to see the competition up close in order to learn about Brannigan. 
Clark provides him with the means to do so with the two tickets Bleeker had given to him. At Murray's gymnasium, an Indian swami named Ram is showing the wrestlers techniques to use on the pressure points in the bodies of their opponents. We got a new one for you to work on, Ram. Uh, crusher, you be Adonis. Let him put the spin on you, bad luck. Now, uh, Adonis has Brannigan spinning. In a split second, he's gonna slam him and mean it. What does Brannigan do? It's easy, I show you. Look, his leg you can reach soft. Uh, now, I not hurt you, but uh, do you feel this? Oh, take it easy! So, uh, Mr. Brannigan, this. You, you use fingers so. Uh, press hard until you feel the muscle slip, then it is done. Like that. All right, now work on it until you get it perfect, boys. As long as we got the paralyzer, we can't miss. Ram, however, feels that his teachings are being used for nefarious purposes. What do you want? Master, how long must I stay here? Look, pal, we're treating you good. We're hiding you here so the government police don't find you and throw you in jail for the rest of your life, ain't we? When the chance comes, we're going to slip you on a ship bound for India. Ain't that what you want? Yes, master, but I am troubled. A thought has come to me that these secrets I teach your wrestlers, these secrets are not being used for a good purpose. Uh, forget it. Didn't I tell you my boys are good, clean boys? They wouldn't do no harm to no one. I wish to believe you, master. For if I discovered that my knowledge of the human body was being used for evil, it would be a very bad thing for you, very bad. Crusher, bad luck! Now take it easy, pal. We're treating you right. Crusher, take our friend here to his room. And see that the door's locked so the government police don't sneak in, see? It is the night of Bad Luck Brannigan's match with Golden Adonis Murphy. It's Friday night. So it's Friday night. And it's 10 o'clock. I'm not catching any trains. And just about now, Bad Luck Brannigan and the Golden Adonis are tearing each other limb from limb. Great Caesar's ghost! Why doesn't someone tell me these things? I tried, Chief. Murphy has had Bad Luck over his head. As Clark and Perry watch the competition on television, they notice that Brannigan has placed his hand on Murphy's leg as he applies pressure for his paralyzer. Adonis falls, and Brannigan pins him. Golden Adonis is unable to move. Now, another wrestler has been placed in the hospital. It looks like there is nobody up to the challenge Brannigan until Wayne Winchester steps into the ring. And I say it again. There ain't a wrestler in the world who ain't afraid of me. I'll meet any of them. I'll even wrestle gorillas if you can sign them up. I claim I'm the world's champ. And I ain't heard a challenge. I'll accept that challenge, Brannigan. I'll wrestle you right here one week from tonight. Best two out of three and no holds barred. Ken, that's our boy. That's Wayne Winchester. What's he doing in the ring? Huh. Where'd you come from, pretty boy? Great Caesar's ghost! That crazy kid! I hired him to investigate, not Russell! Now what's happened? It would have to go out just at the wrong time. Come on, we gotta get over the arena. Oh, wait, Chief. Wait a minute. They'll probably come back here. If we go, we'll miss them. Chief, we can't let him do it. He hasn't got a chance against Brannigan. If he goes through with it, he'll be paralyzed, crippled for life. I know. You don't have to tell me. Son, I admire your courage, but I can't let you go on with this. It's just... Now, just a minute, Mr. White. I thought this thing out carefully while I was watching Brannigan tonight. He's not a good wrestler. He's got a deadly trick. And I know I can solve that trick once on the mat. It's the only way. No, nothing doing. It's too dangerous. Wayne, please, for my sake, don't do it. Don't worry, Lois. Why don't you say something, Kent? I think he can do it. I think Wayne can beat Brannigan. Well, thanks, Mr. Kent. Kent, you're crazy. Clark, you can't mean it. You know what'll happen. You've seen those paralyzed wrestlers. You just can't be serious. 
I think Wayne can beat Brannigan because he's a better wrestler. And as he said, it's the only way to expose that trick of his. All right, Kent. You and your great wisdom have decided he can get away with it. So I'm going to hold you responsible. You're assigned to this wrestling story, too. And if this boy is hurt in any way, the blame is on you. All right, sir. I'll accept full responsibility. Come on, Wayne. Clark, I never want to see you again as long as I live. Come on, Wayne. Oh, Kent, wait a minute. I think I know you well enough to ask this and get an honest answer. This uh, <clears throat> friendship between Wayne Winchester and Lois hasn't done anything to your thinking, has it? What? No, Chief. There's no green-eyed monster involved here. I honestly think the boy can beat him, and I'll prove it. Both Wayne and Brannigan are preparing for their wrestling match. You are no doubt a genie or some spirit sent to help me as I have been praying for help. I am here to help you. What is it you wish? After much meditation, it has come to me that I am being deceived by those who promised to return me to my homeland. It is true, you are being deceived. Then I will reveal no more of my secrets. Once more, they will ask you to show them these strange things you do with your hands, your fingers, and you must show them. But if my knowledge causes evil? It will cause no evil. Later, you must correct the evil you have already caused. Yes. Good. And now, show me, on my body, these strange pressures that you will next show them. And do not fear to hurt me. Can a mere man harm a genie? Ram has taught Superman the paralyzing moves that Brannigan knows, so Clark can help Wayne defend against them. Wayne, come on in. Nice to see you. Hope I didn't come around too early. But, well, I had to talk to you. Well, of course, kid. Come on in. All right. Sit down. Now, what's on your mind? Well, I didn't sleep much last night, thinking things over. Look, maybe I did make a fool of myself. Oh, cooling off a little? Well, I'm not afraid of Brannigan. I'm sure I can handle him, but... Of course you can. I don't worry about it. What makes you so sure, Mr. Kent? You've never seen me on a mat. And you know what Brannigan's done to those other guys? Well, it's just a feeling I have, Wayne. You see, I've been watching Brannigan very closely, especially his hands. <laughs> you must have sharp eyes to be able to follow his hands on a TV screen. Yes, of course, I'm, I'm not a wrestler, but... Well, I remember reading somewhere someplace about pressure points. Mm. Certain areas of the human body that are very sensitive, vulnerable to pressure. Yeah, I know the Japanese do a lot of that. That's right. You know, some of those judo experts can cripple a man with thumb pressure. Well, the Hindus know something about it, too, I've heard. Exactly. Yeah. What do you say we try something? Look, stand up. All right. Now push that chair back, yeah. will you? I don't know much about this, but I believe a match usually starts something like this, doesn't it? That's it. Okay. Now, I'm not going to hurt you. But I am going to try something. Okay. All right? Here we go. Hey! Boy, what did you do? That that numbed me. I'm sorry. Let me fix it. <laughs> better? Yeah. I guess I must have hit one of those pressure points. Now, Wayne, all we have to do is develop your defense against that sort of thing. Now, I'll try and remember everything I can. Of course, I'm not much of a wrestling coach, but I'll do the best I can. It's funny, but I've got a feeling you know the right answers. Now that Winchester has built an immunity to the paralyzer, he is ready for the match that will expose Brannigan. Wayne is able to counter Brannigan's moves and pin him. Winchester is victorious. This makes Mortimer Murray believe Ram double-crossed him. So you quit cold. What happened? I give him everything I had. And when I give him the paralyzer, nothing happens. He just grins at me. Somebody tipped him off. We've been crossed up. And the only guy that could have done it is Ram. Why should he cross us up? That's what I'm going to find out. He, bad luck Brannigan, and Crusher head back to the gymnasium to work Ram over. Clark needs to save the Indian Swami as Superman. 
but Bleeker wants to negotiate with him about giving Wayne a professional wrestling contract. Where you going, Crosby boy? I'll see you later, sir. No, you won't. You're seeing me right now, and you ain't getting away from me until we settle something. Now look, Clocky, don't push me. We got lots of business to talk over. Your boy won and he won honest. Why, it'll be a new sensation. Honest wrestling. I'll see you tomorrow, Sam. We'll settle everything tonight and before the wrong people whose names I won't mention get to you. Why, Wayne here's going to be my new star. If he can take Brannigan, he can toss any grappler Murray has. And that's curtains for Murray. Now look, Sam, I'm not Wayne's manager. I'm just his friend. As the new champ's trainer, I'll be glad to hear any propositions you have to make. That's it, Sam. Now you talk to Wayne and to Jimmy and talk things over and work something out. I'm sure you can reach a decision. Okay, well, come on to my office. Why, it means a million for you guys. There might be a few bucks in it for me, too. Come on, right, Sam. Superman gets to Murray's gym in time to save Ram from being beaten by the nefarious promoter and his wrestlers. Give him a little twist, bad luck. Oh, I know nothing. I did only what you asked. Please, I talk to no man. No, no. I did only what you asked. You talk or we'll twist those arms right off. Oh! Oh! All right, boys, the party's over. It's Superman! It's Superman. The police then arrive alongside Lois and Perry. You're not hurt badly, my friend. I will recover quickly. You came just in time. I prayed that you would come. These men will never have a chance to hurt you again. But there are others that have already been hurt. These you must help. I will keep my promise. The police, they must not catch me. You have nothing to fear from the police. Remember, I made you a promise. Go now, let them in. Caesar's ghost! Jeepers! What happened here? Sahib, I can explain everything. These men were torturing me when a genie, a Superman. Superman again? I thought so. You thought what, Chief? I figured we'd find you here. Were you here when this happened? Why, uh, yes. Yes, certainly, that's right. Oh, incidentally, Ram here was forced to teach Brannigan those pressure point tricks. But he can heal all those that were hurt. You mean you can heal those poor crippled men? Why, if you can, it'll be like magic. Like the only real magic, the magic of knowledge. So, Bob, what did you think of this episode? Uh, when I was a kid, this was not one of my favorite, but as I've watched it over the years, I've really grown to like it a lot. I thought that there were some weird things about Lois. I think she's a little out of character, but... I think they just used Lois as a, quote, female in this one as much as they used her for Lois Lane. She was a little out of character. One thing early on when Perry was talking about the wrestler and stuff and then Clark uh, says, well, I think he can do it, chief. And when Lois leaves, it's, you know, uh, she actually said, I actually wrote this down. I never want to see you as long as I live. Ever again. I never want to see you ever again as long as I live. Lois said that to Clark because he told this wrestler that she met, a college wrestler, right. that she met like 10 minutes ago, that Clark thinks he can beat this guy and he's seen the trick. So instead of trusting Clark's instincts, and they're, so they're playing her as if there's some sort of relationship here with the college wrestler and Lois. Even as you mentioned towards the very end there, Perry actually saying this. And Clark's comeback was, well, no, Chief, there's no green-eyed monster here. Right, yeah. That, <laughs> I love that line. I did, too. Yeah, that really stood out because they don't deal with that kind of stuff in this show. 
No, they don't. So to no, see don't. it come up in this episode, yeah, with some in relation to a character that this show doesn't have recurring characters. No. So no. It just it was just weird to bring that up when you really never see that any of these people have any kind of private life. Exactly. And later they hint at it with when Noel Neal is Superman. There are several kind of comic relief moments where something happens of a romantic nature and she kind of looks at Superman and he does that, uh oh, and runs out and runs away or something. But I thought this one was a little unusual for some of the first season episodes, but mainly because I think Lois is a little out of character in this one. Uh, and we'll see that in some of the next show we talk about. But in this one, I thought they used Lois, you know, as the female character to add a little romance or add the female point of view of some kind. Right. But not really Lois Lane reporter in this one. There was just nothing for her to write. But, you know, I liked some of the, the subtext to this about immigration and people using other people for their own nefarious means and some of that stuff. Uh, well, that was an f- interesting way to tell kids some things about that by using the, you know, the, the, the Indian, I assume he was Indian. They kept saying, send yeah, they you back to India. That he was India. Yeah. They kept saying, we're going to send you back to India, you know, but I, I like some of those things, I think. And like so many of these first season shows, George Reeves looks great in the costume. He just looks really, really good. Oh, there was only one or two places in that fight scene in the, you know, in the gym when people are bumping into each other and he's throwing them around. There are two quick scenes that I noticed today for the first time where you could actually see the the stunt double. You knew it was a stunt double. But I thought it was interesting because they had to cut him so quickly because there's several scenes there where it's George Reeves, obviously, and he's just ducking and letting guys hit each other and behind him or close-ups of him. But some of the others, if you see Superman's back to you and he's throwing something or getting hit with something, that's probably not George. Yeah, I noticed a lot of that fight was George. Yeah, most of it was George. Which is more than we've seen in other episodes. Yeah, other episodes, it's so obvious. Back Uh, when I did the mind machine, (laughs) most of that fight, almost all of that fight at the end is the stuntman. Yeah, Uh, but there is something funny in that that scene, if you look back at it, where there's one of those guys, when Superman hits him, he does fall and hit hit his head on the side of that table. And it's a good thing it was one of those, you know, semi-breakaway prop table things, but... A lot of that was was uh, stunt doubles, and uh, in later episodes, when with some of the color episodes, particularly one of my favorites is when George Reeves splits into two people. Right. Superman splits into two, and it's obvious because they're both he and his stunt double are on right. screen at the same time. So, but we're not there yet. That's nope, a few yet. years away. Well, not years. It's <laughs> not years. Maybe months. Well, TV years. Well, TV years. Yes. Podcast. Right. More like months. Right. Yeah. But but overall, I would still give this a good solid B. This is still uh, a really good, you know, uh, a really good solid episode. You know, you get all of the characters. We get Jimmy doing some comedy work. We get Clark being a great Clark Kent here. This is this is why George Reeves to me is just the best Clark Kent ever. Oh, yeah, this is. Definitely a very good Clark Kent showcase. Oh, he's just so good at this. Taking charge and helping guys, but also humble. And, well, I don't know much about wrestling, but let's try this. Right. And doing, like in the early days, what Superman did. This is Jerry Siegel's Superman. Because Superman only comes in to save the day. And if he can get out before other people get there, that's how he's going to do too. 
And I believe he does. And he does in this. The fight's over. He tells the genie to open the door to let the other people back in. Right. And Superman's gone. But gee, guess who is back? Yeah, some reporter in a hat and a suit. Yeah. And it's to be there. Great, great, great closing line. Oh, yes. The only real magic is knowledge. Right. Just just terrific, terrific show. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this one. Yeah, I did too. You know, as I was watching this one, you know, this one was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. A lot a lot of the wrestling action. And and several of those guys, by the way, the wrestlers were real wrestlers yeah. from the time period. And you mentioned Richard Reeves uh, playing, no relation to nope, no relation to George, playing Battle of Brannigan, the big guy, the big baddie. And he, right. he's, he's been, he, he makes it back to several, I think, what did you say, six times he makes it? Back? Does he show up again? He show, he shows up quite a bit. Quite a bit. He's on several of these of the Adventures of Superman episodes. He's one of those guys that's up there. I believe the most that I've seen so far is eight. Mm, okay, yeah, uh, that would be Louis Lemon, the guy who plays Louis Lemon. I bet uh, he's. I forget the guy's name. He was in the yeah, mind. He was in the mind machine. The the bald guy. Oh, Ace or the bald the short bald guy. The short bald guy. The short bald guy, I think, does make the most appearances as mobster in some of them, the boss in some of them, the right. just the thug in the others, the henchman or whatever. But yeah, he's there a lot. But what I wanted to say about Richard Reeves, and I'm not sure because I didn't, I meant to look this up today because I thought, well, this would be a great piece of trivia, at least for older people my age. Right. There used to be a lot of B-type movies that would show on Saturday morning TV, black and white, mostly movies. And a lot of these movies were... They were meant for kids, but they were adventure and action type movies. And they did a whole series of these Hercules movies. And the star of the Hercules movies at the time, his name was Steve Reeves. Right. No relation to George. Well, as we all know, Reeves is not George's actual name. Exactly. But I think Richard and Steve were brothers or cousins or I think those two were related to each other. I looked uh, up his IMDb earlier. Just I don't with, uh, who uh, Richard, Richard Reeves? Reeves. I don't think he's related to Steve Reeves either. I did didn't look up Steve, but I looked up Richard. Oh, okay. and no relation. Doesn't mention. Okay, and, well, and I, uh, I've got his total number of episodes right here, though. He did five. Five. Richard did five, and he also did the uh, unaired Superboy pilot. Really? Well, that's what, that's what it says. And okay. Uh, well, that's available. That's around too. That's that you can find that. That might even still be on YouTube. I yeah, I found that. I I've seen it once, and it was really enjoyable because it had all the Silver Age Superboy tropes. You had Chief Parker; they were all there. Everything was there except Crypto. It was really enjoyable. I would have watched that show if it had stayed on the air. That's, if it had passed, I would have watched it. So yeah, th- this episode actually had a lot of character actors that we're going to see quite a bit. Right. Dick Elliott, who plays the uh, wrestling manager, Sam Bleeker, was in three episodes. We'll see him again in Once the Show Goes Color. We mentioned Malcolm Mealy, who played Winchester. He'll be back in the deserted village. Right. And Herb Vigran Murray made six appearances. The, ones that, the one that jumps out at me off the top of my head was Superman Week, where he was Cy Horton. And I know he's been in a, he's in a bunch of others. Something right. Like oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, bunch. So, I thought this episode was a very good Perry episode. A very good. See a lot of Perry as a crusading editor. 
Right. And you're right. There was a lot of Perry in here and good Perry too. Oh, as, being, being, you know, the yelling guy, everything's in his to break in his TV and then saying, why did it go out now? <laughs> <laughs> because you just hit it. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, terrific stuff. And there was a scene, uh, when was it? No, that's in the next one we'll talk about. Yeah. Where Lois kisses Perry. No, that, yeah, that's, that's next week, I believe. Oh, is that next week? Okay. That's, that's Treasure of the Incas. Oh, you're right. You're right. Let it, yeah, she lets, yeah, she gets her ticket. Right. Right. Yeah. I meant, I meant, I, I mentioned that one. So obviously, like, like you would do when you're trying to expose something, Perry brings in an expert, which is a former college champion, Wayne Winchester. And Clark has already scored the tickets from Murray. You know, there's not much to the plot of this episode. It's basic. The Daily Planet right. staff wants to expose the, the, the dirty wrestling promoter and the dirty wrestling promoter which is mortimer murray he's trying to muscle out sam bleaker who's basically for all intents and purposes the good wrestling promoter right the good guy so he brings in his experts and wayne is a college guy you know what because we know sam gives the tickets to clark he immediately decides he's going to bring lois did you see perry and clark look at each other when he says gee i wonder if miss lane would like to go right <laughs> and 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 I think you're right. This is not episode is not using Lois as Lois. She's kind of she's the girl, which she's the girl. Very un Lois, like a very un Phyllis Coates Lois, like. So it was very interesting seeing. Uh, I'm guessing this was not Phyllis Coates' favorite episode. I wouldn't think so either, because she is, I think, way out of character most of this show. I, I can't imagine that she would be so upset with Clark Kent. That she would literally say, I never want to see you again. And that's going to be a little tough considering that they work right down the hall from each other. Yeah, and in the next scene, she's all, well, Clark, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, please. You know, that's just, yeah, this was not a well-written one either as far as her dialogue goes. No, like we mentioned, she was just out of character and doesn't really add anything to the story. It just, it stands out in its out-of-placeness. Yes. So after... After that, after he wants to give the tickets to Lois, this, then we get our first look at the gym where Bad Luck Brannigan trains. And first thing we see is Swami Ram up, kind of up by the door. He he's up there looking uh, very pensive, very nervous, and uh, <laughs> as he should be, as he should be. And this is where we're learning how Brannigan does his the does paralyzer, his, does his thing, the paralyzer. And we when they mentioned this in the first scene when they're watching the first uh, wrestling match, which all that was missing was Mean Gene Okerlund. <laughs> but it looked very much like professional wrestling as opposed to the college type the olympic style wrestling that you would see in college and right no it's professional wrestling right and i think even uh winchester points that out that it's different from what he's done exactly anyway i don't know if these pressure point moves would actually paralyze somebody uh there are points that i understand there are points pressure points on the body that can do serious damage if you know, if if you do the right thing at the right time and the right. whatever, but not like they're doing it. No, 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 not like they're doing it. But I could see that there are points where, you know, the Spock's neck pinch, it was right. not just totally made up. There are pressure points and there are points on the body that can weaken you and knock you out. And don't like hitting your funny bone. Right. 
you know, oh, gee, you know, and then there are points like that. So right. I'm but, sure somebody really good could do that, and somebody they're, they're really good acting like they're crippling people for life, which I thought stretched it just a little bit. But. Yeah, just a little bit, a little bit. So and then, and then all he has to do is go back and massage them in the right way, and they'll and and, and they're fine. Yeah, be back again. Now, the nature of uh, Swami Ram's legal trouble, I'm guessing, was made up by Murray to uh, get Ram to do what he wants. Right. They never tell us how he actually got here. Right. Swami does have a couple of good moments where he stands up to Murray. Yeah. In fact, in that that scene with just the two of them, uh, Murray looked really scared. And I thought that was a really good scene because all of a sudden, the little Swami guy is saying... You'd better not be using this stuff for evil because it would really tick me off. Right. And kind of like Hulk, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And I thought that the way the kid just stood up, all of a sudden he was now, it just looked like he went from being, you know, an inch or two smaller than Murray. Right. To being two or three inches taller than him and, and in a more powerful, positive position over Murray. I thought that's when Murray just calls his two big bodyguards in. But I thought that was a really, really good quick scene there. Just that that little minute or two right there was really good. See, I get the feeling this guy could take them all out anytime he wants. Yeah, that's what I kept thinking too. If he really wanted to, he could take them all out. And, right. you know, you could almost see that scene where Superman, it would have been an interesting scene if Superman kind of backs up and takes a couple out and Swami comes in and just starts throwing guys around. Because right. he's a little guy. He's like, you know, five, 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 six. He's a little guy. Now, Richard Reeves, all the times we're going to see him on the show, he doesn't play the uh, the great thinkers. No. He's, he's the dumb muscle. and Yeah, he's never the boss. <laughs> and I don't know if you noticed it when you were watching, but after Murray implies that he's going to kill Swami once they're done with him, I love the look on his face. They, they kind of zoom in on his face, and he's kind of like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. He does some good acting with his face. And then Winchester and Lois go to the, go to the wrestling match, and Clark and Perry are just kind of hanging in Perry's office, and... Clark is hinting to Perry that it's time to watch the wrestling. Perry, it's Friday night. It's Friday night. It's 10 p.m. I don't got a train to catch. And then when he tells them what's going on at the arena. When we did the uh, intro episode, I mentioned my favorite Great Caesars ghost moment. Is this this, it? This is it. When (laughs) When he picks up the paper, screams it out, and throws it across the room. It's a great scene. Great Caesars ghost. Why didn't you tell me? Yeah. Sits down in his big leather chair, turns his black and white TV on, click. Oh, and, and did you notice in the beginning that when they all were all there to watch it, Perry was the only one who got a chair? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Jimmy, Jimmy Olsen sitting in the floor, Lois on the arm of the chair. And the two men, and the two men are behind him. They're behind him, right. I thought that was some great framing right, right there. Yeah. I mean, if he had been a recurring character, you could have used that for a promotional stuff. Oh, absolutely. You know, you could have used that as a promotional shot anyway. You could have just swapped out the wrestler for Henderson. Right, right. Stick Bill in there. Now, that would have been a good promotional mm-hmm. shot. We see a lot of wrestling footage. I'm sure they just kind of got that stock footage from somewhere else. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nobody is actually doing any wrestling. No, and all those crowd th- scenes in the arena. And, of course, the thing that I really like both here and we see it again in another episode, and they use this quite frequently, and it was a you know typical of the times. If something needs to be expositional, 
have that twirling newspaper coming at you. Oh yes, they, they and, did that a couple times. Yeah, and I love that. I always have loved that. The the music. I just love that. Love it. Love 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 it. And it's a great way to just you know move the story along. It's a nice visual. Not exactly the expositional network. Copyright Michael Bailey. Well, they don't have time for that. No. Nope. And TV news really isn't a thing yet either. So Not yet. Watching this episode, this episode got to take place over the course of about two weeks. Right. Because there have been three Friday nights at the, at the wrestling arena. Exactly. They needed to uh, pass the time somehow. And so when they're watching, both times, Clark spots the fingers. You know, he really could have used what we, some of the modern technology, the live TV and the slowdown. Right. Because and I love Perry commenting, did he have a nice manicure? <laughs> <laughs> Every time Clark spots anything in these episodes, Perry's throwing it right back at him. Did you know what a ducket was until you or before you saw this? I've heard the phrase thrown around. Okay. You have heard that phrase. Yeah. Okay. I've always assumed it meant tickets. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Right. But there were ducats. Yes. I think ducats might have meant something more than just a ticket. It might have been, here's some freebas, here's some press pass, here is, right. you know, some ducats. But terminology that I don't know of anybody that would say that ever no. now. Not anymore, no. No, no. There's a lot of things said in these shows that nobody says now. Golly! No, no, nobody says that anymore either. Wayne accepts Brannigan's challenge. Or, no, or actually, Brannigan accepts Wayne's challenge. He just kind of... You know, I felt like I was watching WWE right right there as he's up there screaming for a challenger. And and a guy in a suit jumps up there and takes him up on it. Yeah, basically. And right. this gives John Hamilton an opportunity to have another nervous breakdown on camera. No wonder why the man almost goes crazy in an episode. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and this, this is the scene where Lois is mad at him. And this is the point where Clark says that Wayne can do it. Wayne can beat Brannigan. Right. Like I said, I always thought that scene was a little bit dramatic. Well, I thought it was way over the top with way her over saying the top. She'll, she'll never speak to him again. Yeah. Why? How long have you known this kid? You know. Uh, 20 minutes and. All of a sudden you're upset that Clark Kent thinks he can beat another wrestler? Come on. And it's always unclear how long she's known Clark, but still, Clark right. should. And you, what, I, what else I like is that Brannigan is actually afraid of Wayne. Because he's a real wrestler. Because he actually knows <laughs> what he's doing in the ring. Do I cut the rest of this college punk? Well, it's something I didn't plan on, but it's a break. I uh, I hear tonight that Sam Bleeker's going to hire some college wrestlers. So if you can flatten this one, he'll back out. But them college wrestlers really know how to wrestle. I might get hurt. We'll get the Swami to teach you some new paralyzers. Don't worry. Okay. And uh, check the Swami's room on your way to turn in. Superman. This is when Superman visits Swami, and I really like this scene. And <laughs> I come up. Swami looks at Superman as if he's a genie or a helpful spirit. And Superman kind of plays right into the act. Well, exactly. You know, kind of acting like a, like a ghost advisor. Well, he never said he wasn't a genie. He just said, I am here to help. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and that comes in later, too, when the Swami's getting tortured and he says that he told his secret to no man. Right, right. <laughs> because he thought Superman was a genie. Right. Well, Superman actually played that up when he's sitting there cross-legged. Right, with he did. With Swami, and the Swami asked, and, and he, Superman said, like I said before, he said, I am here to help. Right. What do you wish? He did, yeah. When would Superman ask anybody else, what do you wish? Right. 
Now, what if the Swami had said, oh, four million American dollars? What? <laughs> well, let me find a hump of coal around here somewhere. Yeah, I'll, have to, I'll tell Swami to come back next season. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, he plays right into it and uh, he learns, he basically learns what Swami is going to teach Brannigan. And then apparently the next morning, Wayne comes over and how do you know Clark isn't ready for the day when he puts his bathrobe on over his dress shirt? <laughs> As we all do, our smoking yeah, lounge it's, clothes. Exactly. Maybe he's cold. <laughs> well, at least it's the same apartment from another episode we're going to talk about. Right, you know, his, his apartment is pretty consistent. I don't believe we ever see Lois's apartment again. Not in first season. We see it a couple times in the second season and beyond, but I don't think we see it again in the first season after stolen or do, broken statues. Yeah. Do they change Clark's apartment? After the first season, yes. Yeah, because it, in, drastically, uh, drastically changed. I remember in Panic in the Sky, he seemed to have a bigger living room. He has a much larger apartment in the second season than he does in the first season. This first season, it looks very small. That little opening room that he's in and then go over to the bedroom where the secret closet is. I'm assuming if you turn left instead of right... That might be where a little kitchen of some coin is, right. but they, that's never shown. No, you, you've all never seen see, Clark Ann's kitchen. No, all we see is that room with a little couch, some pictures on a wall, a desk, a telephone, a lamp, right. and in the next room, uh, a bedroom right. with a secret closet. No, but his new apartment in the second season is a lot bigger. Is much larger, yeah, much yeah. larger. So this is, then we get to a little bit where Clark is a little bit of everything because now he's a wrestling coach. Right, right, and apparently uh, Jimmy is a good corner man. <laughs> he he is apparently. <laughs> so. Well, you, you know, you know how Jimmy is. Jimmy can do a little bit of everything. Yeah. We go when they back go back to Murray's gym. You can see that Swami is showing Brannigan the same thing that Clark is showing to Wayne. So there's right. consistency there. And you know, I'm I'm watching them kind of wrestle in Clark's apartment. They're all they're all in their regular clothes. You think that they get some wrestling gear? Nope, just regular clothes. Not a, a nice, a nice cotton button-down collar shirt. Good Oxford shirt, except yeah. for Jimmy. Lois Perfect. goes back to Perry's office, and he asks Lois why she isn't at the arena. Why isn't he at the arena? This whole thing is his idea. Oh yeah, Perry should be there. Yeah, and he's just kind of sitting in his office waiting for. Well, he and Lois can't stand the howling. Right, and he turns the uh, the volume off. Yeah, he said that a couple of times. Almost every time, it was somebody would say, I just can't stand the howling. Right. Yeah, it was Perry. And you notice here, see, this is one of those moments where I get the feeling that they know the truth. Kent's usually right, and he seems confident the boy can toss Brannigan. Well, no matter how right anyone is, there comes a time when he's got to be wrong. It's only human nature. Sometimes I wonder if Kent is human. They both put a lot of stock into the fact that Clark is right all the time. And... Lois points out that he can't be right all the time. He's got to be wrong eventually because it's right. human nature. And then Perry says, Man, I wonder if Clark's even human. <laughs> even if they don't realize that there's something in their subconscious, I believe, that says they know he's not what he appears to be. Or well, he appears yeah, to be. he always solves the problem. He's always, things always work out. And Clark seems to always be one step ahead of everybody else. My favorite Clark Kent. He's just so good. He is. He is so good. And obviously during the wrestling match, we see uh, Brannigan try to put the paralyzer on Wayne. But, you know, Wayne's got this weird, weird smile on his face. 
and obviously Wayne wins. And Brannigan right. is as confused as hell. All right. I think he's kind of a weird-looking guy anyway. Which one? Uh, Wayne. Yeah, he is. He's kind of weird. Not- he looks like one of those guys who has no neck. Yeah, exactly. You know, like he's uh, he spent far too much time in that weight room. Right. And it looks like he's drawn by Wayne Boring. Big, big barrel right. chest with, and it doesn't go slimmer to the waist. It's just this big, thick guy. Big barrel. Big arms. He's he's a look like he's a really strong guy. Oh yeah, he does. And I don't think I don't really think Wayne Boring Superman had much of a neck either. No, no, no. All right. So, so what did you what did you think of Sam uh, Clark's uh, wrestling promoter friend? Uh, well, uh, I've seen Sam the actor do a lot of stuff over the years. Right. Doing back then, I like Sam. He's a fun guy. He's uh, I like his voice. I think he actually did some cartoon work too, or. Or maybe I'm just because he sounds like a cartoon, but uh, oh, Clarky baby, right? <laughs> hey, Clarky baby, here's a couple of ducats for Friday yes. night. Clarky baby, kept a, he called him Clarky. <laughs> yeah, I, I I caught that. <laughs> Nobody calls him Clark. No, oh, Clarky baby, <laughs> got a couple of ducats for you. Yeah, he looks like one of those guys who's always trying to sell you something. Yeah. But, you know, he's a hustler. He's got to work. At least he's trying to do it as legitimately as he can inside the wrestling business. Right. Whereas, obviously, the other guy. He's trying to do it honestly. Uh, is 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 not trying to do it honestly. What was the bad guy's? I forgot the bad guy's name. Murray. Murray, right. Yeah. Mortimer Murray. Yes, Mortimer Murray. <laughs> well, I was even comments on the name. Yeah, making fun of Mortimer. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like how Sam suggests honest wrestling would would be a sensation. Can you imagine honest wrestling? Uh, no, no, I can't either. No, at least not honest professional wrestling. Not honest professional. Not past college. No. Not not after. You know, it would be a very boring real sport. Yeah, professionally. Once he passed college and the Olympics, no, right. So. Plus, professional wrestling is more of a, a soap opera. Right. It's, it's more of a. It's a comic book. It is. It's a. It's a comic drama. Book. But I do love that, you know, Sam is doing what everybody else does. He's preventing Clark from changing into Superman. Right. At least until, until Clark throws him on Jimmy. Right. So Jimmy is now going to negotiate a contract for Wayne as a professional wrestler. Right. What was this kid doing anyway? I mean, he never told us, did he? Perry just says he's a former college champion. Right. What is he doing now? Uh, we don't know. He is just... Uh, He's their wrestling expert. Yeah. Perry hired him to be a reporter to report on the story about the wrestler and how he's doing it, not to wrestle. So now Clark has to change to Superman to get out of there to go do stuff. But Sammy, come on, Clarky boy. We got to talk about the deal. I'm not letting you out of here until you tell me about this deal right, right. now. We're, you and me, we're going to talk now. And then Clark just turns him over to Jimmy. Yeah, and meanwhile, Swami Ram's arms are getting ripped off. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So Clark's got to get out of there. And like I mentioned, once Clark does get away, I love the way Superman comes into this room yelling through the door. Through the door. <laughs> well, yeah, but when he gets to the end of the railing and the way he yells, the party's over. Right. It's almost as if he's yelling over the music that's playing in the episode. Oh, I see. Right. You know, and it was actually George Reeves jumping over that rail. It was George jumping over that rail and, you know, a good six foot drop there, jumping right. over that rail and 
down onto the floor. And, and like we said earlier, most of this fight that we see on screen is George yeah, in is. the costume. And I actually, you know, one of the moments that made me laugh is when the guy throws the weight bar at him and just kind of bounces off Superman and hits the guy. <laughs> right. I think that was George. Yeah, I think it was him too. It was just because it, it was in front. It was the, the talking about when he was kind of facing sideways. You're right, and, and it, you could see enough of his face. Yeah, that it looked like him. He kind of just moved his arm, and the weight belt bounced off the other guy. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought it was a fun fight scene. Yeah, you know, because there was a bunch of guys well choreographed. There was some Three Stooges moments. Superman ducks and two guys, and they did that two or three times actually, where Superman would duck. And then the two guys on either side of them would hit each other, right. but still very fun. It was a, it was you know, right. yeah. a good moment for the kids to be. Yay! And it was. And uh, people don't talk a lot about the music <laughs> in this series. And this series was never going to win any awards for music editing because a lot of the changes are really abrupt. But when they when you play that op- that theme main theme over him fighting, yeah, it's terrific. It, it's terrific. It's. It's you, true. You'll put that up there with any with any. I have I have a note. It's funny you mentioned that. I was just getting ready to say, particularly for this scene, the lead up to him starting the fight and then jumping into it, the music in this whole episode oh, actually. Yeah. The it was really good music when he was sitting there talking to the genie when both of them are cross legged. Right. I thought they did a really good job with this. And you're right, sometimes the music can be very abrupt because of the editing and the way they just sometimes go from uh, uh, this to that and just all of a sudden, boom, you're in the middle of a music theme, no right. build up. But I thought they did a really good job. It's one of the notes I actually have on this episode that great music, exclamation point. Right, because you notice. Uh... Like, I noticed in some of the episodes where they have extended flying scenes. Like, I think I noticed this in Double Trouble. When he's right. flying to Germany, they need to hang on him longer. They always have to find something else when the usual flying theme runs out. Right. This episode was better than I recall it being. It actually was better than, not better than I recalled it being, but I really enjoyed it today. I, when I look at the, the list of the stuff that we were going to talk about. Right. This one was the least on my list. I thought, mm, well, mm. Right. but watching it today, I thoroughly had a, I thoroughly enjoyed this one. It was just a lot of fun and right. noticed a lot of little things I hadn't really noticed before. So, really likes when yeah. that happens. You know, you know, I think that music cue at the end too, it leaves you at the end of the episode feeling like you had a really fun time. Yes, yes. And at the beginning of this, they give you about a four-second shot. Of the Superman S without the text on top of it. So I need to capture that. Yes, I, I noticed that. There's a I really was, long bit. I'm sitting there watching it. Did they, I'm like, did they forget to put the title card up? Yeah. <laughs> oh, then, so, then, then it comes up. And then No Holds Barred comes up on top of it. But it's one of the longest just the S. And I'd like to capture that and make yeah. a t-shirt out of one of these days. Yeah, and I also noticed when they do the title card to this episode, you know, they're not standard. No, you know, a, a lot of shows have you know one font that they'll use for title, but this show varies it up. Yeah, uh, based on what they think would look good for the theme of the episode. Right. Yeah, that's a good catch on your part. I didn't notice that. Well, I noticed. I didn't know that other people noticed right. that. But I, I noticed it with are. this one because this one is so different. Right, and you'll notice when we get to Incas, the treasure of Incas is different. Broken statues was different than the jade statue yeah they're all different very good got anything else on this one that's it i think we got that one yeah i think we did so we're gonna take a quick break play another promo 
And then we're going to come back with The Deserted Village. Hang around. Hey, everybody. I'm Paul Spataro. I don't know if you know me, but I'm a regular on Back to the Bins, along with my friends, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Uh... Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books. We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So, tune in every week to Back to the Bins to listen to our show. You can find us at twotruefreaks.com. Oh, welcome back, folks. And we're going to move right ahead into The Deserted Village. <laughs> Original broadcast date was December 5th, 1952. December 5th, 1952. I was 11 months old. So there. So, right, do the math, folks. <laughs> January 1952. <laughs> the writers are Ben Peter Freeman and Dick Hamilton, directed by Tommy Carr. Yay, and Tommy. I'm not shocked by this, but you know, I just noticed hmm. Steve Carr wasn't in either of these episodes. Uh, could be. You're right. He's not listed. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's in the opening sequence, but right. Change. But yeah, but he rarely got listed when uh, it's only been recently. And I say well, recently within the last few releases or whatever that well, they started giving him credit. He's listed on on the cast list that I have. Mm, right. So guest he, cast I, included. Fred Sherman as Dr. Oscar Jessup, Marty Prickett as Matilda Tazy, Edmund Cobb as Peter Godfrey, Malcolm Mealy again as Alvin Godfrey, and Anne Tyrell as Miss Walton. She must have been a telephone operator. Right. You got some big name people there. Maude Frickert doing Lois's friend. What's her name? The lady, the old lady. Uh, Mrs. Tazy. Mrs. Tazy. Who packs a thirty-eight under her apron. <laughs> Apparently they're all packing. Apparently. All right, get into your synopsis. All right, which is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. A sign reads, Clifton by the Sea, population 525. A mysterious hand holds a piece of chalk that crosses out the number two on a wooden panel. There is a sinister-looking fog throughout the desert hamlet. A large being clad in what seems to be a protective suit is storming rocks through windows of various houses as he lumbers through the streets. Phones are ringing off the hooks throughout Clifton. One of the people trying to call is Daily Planet reporter Lois Lane. Mrs. Matilda Tazy, a woman who cared for Lois during her childhood, always sent her a gingerbread man for her birthday, and Lois wants to thank her. The Millers don't answer either? Well, try the market. Surely someone will be there. I'm ringing the market, Miss Lane, and I'm still ringing Mrs. Tazy, but no one seems to answer in Clifton at all. Well, I can't understand it. The lines must be down. The lines test clear. I get a ringing signal on every one of them, but no one answers. It's very strange. It certainly is. Operator, please keep trying. Uh, do you want to hang up and let me call you back? No, I'll hold on. This is the strangest thing. What's that? Well, you've heard me mention Mrs. Tazy. Your nurse? Oh, yes. Every year for my birthday, she sends me a little gingerbread man. Well, that's cute. I tried calling her to thank her for it, but, but she doesn't answer the phone. What's strange about that? She might be out. Well, apparently everyone in Clifton is out. I tried calling the drugstore, the market, the bank, 
the post office, and even some friends of Mrs. Tazy's, and no one answers the phone. Oh? No one answers. It's very strange. I can't understand it. Something must be wrong. Now, don't get upset, Lois. Probably the lines are down. Well, that's what I thought. But the operator at Havenhurst said they're not. Lois is now going with Clark Kent to Clifton in hopes of discovering what happened there. Only one digit, the number five, remains on the population number when Lois and Clark see the signs to Clifton. Meanwhile, the being in the protective suit is about to throw another rock in another window as a fog hangs low on the ground. A dog is in the midst, barking at the person. The animal passes out before the stone is hurled by the man. He thinks nothing of the canine at his feet and he leaves. Lois and Clark have finally arrived in Clifton only to find it devoid of people. They have finally found a house in Clifton that isn't empty, but they also discover that the dog in the yard is dead. The creature was neither injured nor old, and the home belongs to Dr. Oscar Jessup, whom Lois and Clark hear moaning as they approach the front porch steps. As they revive him, Clark notices a gas mask and a gun in Jessup's desk drawer. Jessup himself is claiming to have had a fainting spell, but Clark knows otherwise. He sees shards of glass and a rock on the floor. Lois gives Jessup a glass of water. He recognizes her and tries to warn her and Clark to leave Clifton. However, neither of the two reported intends to go away. Dr. Jessup, Dr. Jessup has led Lois and Clark to believe that Mrs. Tazy is gravely ill. They follow him to her house to find a woman who seems to be in good health. However, she too is acting peculiar. Mrs. Tazy, I'm so glad to see you. I've been so worried about you. I couldn't get you by phone and Dr. Jessup said... Why, Lois, what are you doing here in Clifton? Well, I was worried about you. They're newspaper reporters, Matilda. You didn't answer your phone. Nobody in Clifton answered the phone, so I got Clark and... Oh, oh, this is Clark Kent. I've told you about him. How do you do? How do you do, Mrs. Tazy? I'm glad to see you're looking well. Me? Always fine. Nothing's ever wrong with me. Dr. Jessup led us to believe otherwise. Well, at your time of life, Matilda, especially with that cough you had... Cough? Oh, oh yes, the cough. Well, it's almost gone now, except when the fog's bad. It's going to be bad tonight, Lois, so you'd better be gone before it comes in. You know you always had a weak chest. I? I'll fix you a nice cup of tea, you and Mr. Kent, and I'll give you some of my blueberry muffins, and you can be on your way before dark. That's an excellent idea, Matilda. Just a minute, Mrs. Tazy. Why are you trying to get rid of us? Why? I'm not trying yes, to get rid of you. Yes, you are, and so is Dr. Jessup. He practically ordered us to leave Clifton. What's going on around here? Where are all the people? I didn't see a soul on the streets. The houses and the stores are all deserted. Well, Taint so. There's Peter Godfrey, the druggist, and his son Alvin, and they're still here. Me and Doc Jessup and the... Uh, hadn't you better see about the tea, Matilda? Oh, yes. Uh, just a moment, Miss Taylor. Who else were you about to say? Who else besides you four remained here in Clifton? Why, uh, Doc Jessup's dog. Is it a red setter? Yes. It's dead. Ranger? Dead? He's under a hedge outside your door. But what I want to know is, where are all the other people? What's happened? Closer to the ground. What are you talking about? You've got to tell me. Something terrible's going on in Clifton. I know it. Now, Lois, you always were one to let your imagination run away with you. Come on in and have your cup of tea. You too, Mr. Kent. Well, thank you, Mrs. Tazy. I'll be back later, if I may. You go on in, though, Lois. Have a cup of tea and have a nice chat with Mrs. Tazy. Where are you going? We're going to have a look at Dr. Jessup's dog. That is, if... There are no objections, Doctor. Curiosity once killed the cat, young man. Was the cat too close to the ground, too? Clark notices that Mrs. Tazy has a gas mask hidden in a basket of roses that she had picked from her garden. Meanwhile, Clark is investigating the death of the dog, which he learns belongs to Dr. Jessup. The canine appeared to be exposed to poison gas that stays close to the ground. 
The strange thing is that the animal's body is missing when Clark and Dr. Jessup go to look at it. Dead dogs just don't get up and walk away, Dr. Jessup. I'm quite aware of that. Therefore, someone must have taken it away. Why? I can't imagine. Maybe I can. That dog was removed to keep anyone from finding out it had been gassed. Gassed? That's right. Poison gases are heavier than air, Doctor. They lay close to the ground. I don't know what you're talking about. I think you do. I saw a gas mask in your desk. Mrs. Tazy has one, too. So you were snooping, eh? Going through my desk. Now, wait a minute. I ought to have you arrested. I will, too, unless you leave Clifton at once. Why don't you just cut out this act, Doctor? Act? What act? We both know what killed your dog and almost killed you, too. The gas came in through that broken window. It overpowered you before you could get your mask on. Mr. Kent, I gave you some good advice before. I know. Get out of Clifton. Exactly. And take Miss Lane with you. Otherwise, I won't answer for the consequences. Clark has found large footprints hidden near a bush near Dr. Jessup's house when he meets Peter Godfrey. Lose something? Hi. Yes. A dead dog. Is that so? What kind of a dog might it be? A red setter? Yours? No, it belonged to Dr. Jessup. Ranger dead? Well, that's too bad. Doc thought a lot of that dog. You a friend of Doc's? I just met him today. Oh, I'm Clark Kent, reporter of the Daily Planet. Reporter, eh? Glad to meet you, Mr. Kent. Glad to meet you, sir. My name's Peter Godfrey. Own the drugstore across the street. Here on business? I didn't come on business. Ain't much business in Clifton anymore. Everybody's moved away except Doc Jessup, Miss Tazy, Alvin and me. Alvin's my son. I see. That just leaves four of you. That's all, and after next week, Alvin and me won't be here anymore. Can't make a drugstore pay in a ghost town. No, I suppose not. Well, it seems like a mighty pleasant place to me. Just what made everybody move away? The oyster beds died off. Oh. And then the fogs. We have terrible fogs. Make a man feel awful sick. Might even kill a dog, huh? How's that? I was wondering what killed Dr. Jessup's dog. It wasn't old, and there wasn't a mark on it. Well, I wouldn't know. Strange the way its body disappeared, too. It was right over there just a moment ago. It was, huh? Say, I wonder if Alvin saw it and buried him. Alvin's a very neat fellow. He takes after his mother. May she rest in peace. I'll ask him. Oh, Alvin! This is my son, Alvin, Mr. Kent. Mr. Kent's a reporter on the Daily Planet. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Kent? How do you do, Alvin? Dr. Jessup Sutter died, Alvin. Oh, that's too bad. And the body disappeared just a little while ago from right there. Did you see it, Alvin? No. I've been in the back of the store working for the past hour or so. Oh, by the way, Father, that prescription you were filling is all dissolved. It'll spoil if you let it stand. Oh, yeah, so it will. I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Kent. Glad to meet you, sir. Come in and see us before you leave Clifton. Thank you, I will. Clark is becoming more and more suspicious. Now, now gunshots have been fired, and Clark runs to the source to find Mrs. Tazy tried to fire at the gigantic man in the protective suit. What were you shooting at, Miss Tazy? A rabbit. Now, Miss Tazy, who was it? A rabbit, I said. And anyway, it ain't none of your business, Mr. Kent. We don't need your help around here, and we don't need any newspaper stories. Now you listen to me. The entire village has been deserted. The people were driven away by poison gas, weren't they? By some grotesque man who leaves huge footprints. A murderer. 
I want to know who that murderer is, Mrs. Stacy. Tell me. Don't know. You better tell... What is it? Lois. Where's Lois? Wasn't she here? No. You mean you ain't seen her? Not since I left her here. Where is she? I thought you went to get you. I was at Dr. Jessup's. I came back by the road and I didn't see her. Oh, my. If she went the other way, where he is. She was always such a headstrong girl. Which other way? Where he comes from, the sea. Clark has found Lois in a grotto where some mining has occurred. Clark, you scared me. Well, that makes us even. What do you mean by going off on your own? Well, I like that. What am I supposed to do, sit around and twiddle my thumbs while you go out and wrap up a page one story? Oh, what have you got here? Well, I don't know. I saw where the sand was disturbed. I started digging and found these. Looks like a piece of drill core. Drill core? What's that? It's what a prospector brings up in his drill from underground. Shows him what's down there. You mean a prospector's been drilling here? Somebody was. Well, whoever it was, they didn't find what they were looking for. Those things look worthless to me. I'm not so sure. The weight and the color. Lois, I think I know what these are. And if I'm right, come on. Clark, you're making mountains out of molehills, as usual. Now, you listen to me, Lois. Now, Clark, don't be silly. So you want me to go back to Metropolis, huh? All right, so you go to Havenhurst and wait for me. That's just a few miles away. So you can get the story and phone it into the office? Once and for all, so you'll please try and understand I'm not interested in bylines in a story. Oh, no. No, you can have the bylines. I'll split it with you, anything you want. Thanks so much. But you can't stay here by yourself. It's too dangerous. You, afraid of a fly, my protector. Huh, that's rich. Will you please listen to me? There's a murderer loose around here, maybe more than one, using poison gas. And you're running away from it. Well, I'm not... I'm not I'm... running away from anything. I'm trying to take the... I'm going to have it analyzed. Well, why can't I go with you? Because I can go much faster by myself. Oh, I get it. Okay, Clark, run along. Now, you will go to Havenhurst and wait. I'll wait. In Havenhurst, you promise? I promise. Good girl. Nothing. However, once Clark goes away, she enters the prospector's cave once again. The large man in the hazmat suit has caught Lois. Dr. Jessup tries to help her, but he is knocked out. Mrs. Tazy enters the grotto to confront the giant when she is attacked by Peter Godfrey. Superman arrives to deal with the gargantuan being and Godfrey. With both of them unconscious, Superman rescues Lois, Mrs. Tazy, and Dr. Jessup. It is then revealed that the big, strangely guard man was Alvin Godfrey. Is she all right? I think I got her out in time. I'll go back for the others. So that's who it is. Get that mask off your face, Doc. You won't need it no more now. But I don't understand. Why did he do this? There's a deposit of hydrozite in that cave. I just learned this in Washington. What is this high hydro... Hydrozite. It's a rare mineral used in making the hydrogen bomb. Oh. This may be the largest deposit in the world. Worth millions. Good heavens. Why did you keep everything from me? Why didn't you let me help you? We didn't want none of this to get in the papers, Lois. We thought we could handle it all ourselves. Reckon we were wrong, huh, Doc? We'd all be dead by now if it hadn't been for Superman. What's that? The police. I stopped off and told them about this. What am I doing? I've got to phone this story into the Daily Planet and find poor Clark. Will he ever be furious? 
Goodbye, Mrs. Tasey. Bye, Lois. Goodbye, Doc. She finds him as he's putting the number three on Clifton's population on the sign. Clark, what in the world are you doing? Just fixing this sign. There. Doesn't that look better? Well, how did you know? That Alvin Godfrey was the monster, that he and his father conspired to steal the hydrazide deposits, and that you just phoned the story into the planet? Well, how did you know you weren't there? A uh, little bird told me. And if you're a good girl, someday I'll tell you who that little bird is. And move over. I'll drive. So, Bob, what'd you think of this episode? Uh, what did I think of this episode? Deserted Village. It's spooky. <laughs> it was a fun little episode, a good mystery. Uh, I think they built the tension really well. Uh, see, again, the music in this one was done really nicely. They built it, and you don't really know what's going to happen. They introduced all of the players, and then you have to figure out which one of the guys is the bad guy. Because always in these shows, they're going to show you one of these people that we've told you. They're not going to bring in at the very end when he takes the hood off that it's somebody you don't know. Right. That would be bad storytelling. Yes, it would be. <laughs> but I think we guessed it pretty easily. I don't think it was a big mystery, you know, who it was going to be. At least I did for some reason. I kind of guessed what was going on. Right. Well, the episode, it, it starts out leading you to believe that Dr. Jessup, that it's Dr. Jessup. Right. The way but he's the kind of coaching Miss Tazy into, as in, in what to say. Well, the reason I didn't go with Dr. Jessup and why I thought. Well, he was too obvious. I thought, yeah, I thought almost immediately when they showed the druggist, the drugstore owner and his son, that they have to have something to do with it because they're the only ones they've shown us so far who aren't carrying guns. Right. Quite they did. They had no weapons on them. They acted totally calm where the other two people we had seen were nervous about something, right. but not these two. These two were just calm and collected. Hello, father. Right. Yeah. So and, I suspect and he left a, a prescription hanging out in the back room. Exactly. So I suspected these guys right away. Right. And, uh, but I love the way that the pharmacist was dressed. I loved his outfit with the little armbands, the shirt. I mean, he looked like he walked right out of that time period right. of a druggist, right down to the straw hat and the, the top. The look was just perfect for all of these characters. By just their clothes, you'd know. Well, you wouldn't have known what Wayne, not Wayne, what was his name in this one? Oh, he was Alvin. Alvin, Alvin. You wouldn't know what his job was, by the way. He was just dressed in a white T-shirt showing off his muscles. Right. And uh, But the doctor, the old lady, Clark, Lois, everybody had their costumes, so to speak, right. for their she, jobs. Right. He was Jessup was wearing his doctor costume. And right, exactly. Ms. Je but right with the black was, was wearing her homemaker costume. Exactly. <laughs> the only difference with the 38 under the apron. Right, exactly. <laughs> I did like that. In the... The first thing this episode starts on is the sign with the little population on it. Now, was that something that was common back then? Yes, absolutely. That, that very population? common. Yes, on very common. So, yeah. so the first thing we see is that somebody is at the sign and scratching off the population. He's decreasing it. I, mean, I guess he wants to be very precise. <laughs> right. So now, obviously, the mystery starts with Lois. She's trying to call Clifton, but no one is answering. And we talked a few episodes ago about how telephones worked back then. This episode kind of shows you a pretty good idea of how they worked, because you see the operator 
moving the wires around trying to get her through to somebody. Exactly. They they drive into the village and it looks very oh, particularly particularly by the way I'm sorry but particularly okay. for small towns and Clifton is a very small town probably even when it was at the height of its population it you know had a very small population and in small towns like that you usually had a main switchboard at the local phone company and all calls would come into that switchboard. And then those people, however many operators you needed, would be the ones that would then connect all calls to the rest of the town. Right. So, um, yeah, this was very typical of that situation. This operator was also very nervous because she couldn't figure out what was going on either. <laughs> right. And they just kind of go through and they eliminate every possibility until they kind of do what Lois and Clark do. They couldn't get anybody on the phone, so they drive out there Right. while they're working. Of course they do. They're <laughs> reporters. They don't really have desk jobs. No. But they do have their own offices, which I always found strange. you got to be pretty high, I would imagine, in the newspaper business to actually have your own office. I don't think, you know, regular reporters they don't. just get your own office. You know, never thought so either. I thought that's why I liked All the President's Men. What a great movie that was. I think that was what a newspaper looks like. Right. Probably not now because I don't think they hire as many people nowadays. Now they have empty desks. Now they have a lot of empty desks around. But yeah, I love that movie, All the President's Men. Good movie. The village is very deserted and eerie. It's a ghost town. And obviously, we know something is wrong about with the fog because it's very low to the ground. And what I found interesting was that they kind of show the dog dying. You don't see a lot of that on TV and in the movies. No, no, you don't. Usually the dog is the one thing that lives. Right. But at least it was just more like it was laying down and yeah. going. It wasn't like a violent. Nobody shot him. Right. No, he just kind of fell over. Right. And at first I thought they weren't going to confirm it, but then Clark comes over and says the dog is dead. Bye-bye to Ranger. We knew him so little. <laughs> so they show up at Dr. Jessup's and they find him on the floor. And as he's looking for the smelling salts, Clark sees the gun and the gas masks. So... Something is going on around here. And then Clark sees the rock has gone through the window. Because obviously what we've seen before is that apparently the, the method used to get people out of town is to throw rocks through the window and, and gas them out of their houses. Well, uh, apparently. I don't know if he's killing everybody or if he's just chasing them. Jessup is uh, warning them to leave town. So what did you think of Jessup the first time we saw him? Good old Doc Jessup, country town. I think they were trying to make us think that he knows more than he did. Right. And that he could be could be part of it. One of the questions I have, as we go through the story, Clark sees all kinds of clues. Clark sees all the guns. Clark sees the, the gas masks. And not by using supervision or anything. They're no. just He just sees them because the wind blew the apron over and he saw that. He's the one looking in the desk drawer. Right. He's the one that picked up the, the flowers and saw the in the basket, the gas mask there. My question is, as he finds all of these clues... Should he be telling Lois the clues that he's found instead of keeping her in the dark? You would think because Lois hasn't seen any of these. She's seen none of these clues. To Lois, she just thinks everybody's going crazy. Why right. are people falling, dropping out, passing out? What is going on? Why is the dog dead? What's going on? Right. So Lois has to go off on her own to find these things. I think Dr. Jessup here is creeping them out a little bit as suggest, <laughs> right. he would suggest that Mrs. Daisy might be unwell or dead but then then we get to mrs tazy and she's fine she's hanging out in her garden and 
she's telling them that she's fine, and this is where you know, kind of see Jessup kind of giving her this look, and her demeanor kind of changes as he then starts to kind of go along with his narrative a little bit more and starts kind of chasing him. She, she mentions to get out at night before the fog comes in, and they need to leave by then. <laughs> right. And Lois is asking her questions, but she's not getting any answers. But as you mentioned, Clark spots the gun on her as the wind blows the apron, but he's not saying anything to Lois. No, he's not saying anything to anybody, keeping it all to himself. But you would think at least at one point, you know, while they're walking over to Mrs. Taisy's house, Clark will pull her aside and say what he found. Yep. And even later when he takes those two stick things to have them analyzed, he just tells Lois, stay here, don't drink the tea, don't do anything, I'll be back. Right. And Lois is going, well, why? Right. He should have said something right then. Because it's very dangerous, there's poison, there's this, there's that. Be careful. No, she's not. She has no idea. So now she's got to go find out herself. So if somebody says, don't go to the left, gee, which way is Lois going to go? Oh, she's going to go to the left. Of course she is. And I, I like how this scene ends. After they finally convince Lois to go in with Mrs. Daisy. Right. Clark wants to go back to check the dog. And it almost sounds like Jessup threatens him when he says that, reminds him what curiosity did to the cat. Right. And then Clark has this great reply asking, was, the, was that was the cat too close to the ground too? <laughs> I love that. And that's when he finds the gas mask in the flower basket. And just the whole episode for Lois just seems like an exercise in frustration. Right. And which at the end, we haven't gotten to that yet, but she does kind of blow that off at Clark at the end. Kind of blows back at him and yells at him. We get back to the dog and the dog is gone. And now maybe the dog is behind it. <laughs> but Jessup is getting even more scared and threatening, saying that I won't be responsible for what happens to you after you leave if something happens to you. Right. And what the best thing about this version of Clark is that he's not putting up with it. Mm-mm. And once he feels like he's got somebody, he doesn't let go. This is where we meet Peter Godfrey, who just kind of shows up. And he mm. talks to Clark for a while. Yep. They just sit on the porch like it's a nice afternoon. I own the drugstore across the street over there. Right. And I guess one of the clues that I should have th- spotted earlier was he was the nicest person here. Yep. Gave him every, almost everything Clark asked. He answered friendly, just as nice and sweet as he can, unnerved by anything going around. Just saying, can't really run a drugstore with only three people in town. We'll be leaving next week. Yep. Let me test my son if he saw the dog. Right. Oh, yeah. oh, Alvin. Yes, father. Alvin. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I know. <laughs> I did resist. <laughs> So here he comes with his buff body and no neck. He's got glasses this time, so we're not supposed to know it's Wayne from the last episode. <laughs> right, right. And it's, did it actually air? I meant to look that up, and I forgot. Did these episodes actually air one week behind each other? I think they did. Let me see. According, according to my dates, they do. No, one was November 28th. The other was December 5th. Okay, so two weeks. Two weeks in a row. Two weeks, and the same actor playing two different parts. Yeah. But I must admit, it, it it took me years to realize they were two different guys. Right. And he wore glasses. And he wore glasses. <laughs> well, you know, also back then, too, there were, there were, no, there were no reruns. True, true. You know, there was, there was no binge watching. No. So I can no. imagine, you know, who remembered his little, little guest actors? No, I'm telling you, I didn't realize they were the same actor for years and years and years. In fact, until I had the DVD set. 
And, you know, then when you're watching, you kind of binge watch, you watch three or four or five in a row. And I remember right. at the time, a few years ago, I'm like, oh, my God, it's the same guy. I right. had no idea. I think yeah. his hair was a little different, too. I think he had more of a buzz cut in this one yeah. or something, uh, at least on the sides. It was just right. weird. But he did look weird, kind of goofy in this yeah. one. Yeah. I thought it was kind of goofy looking in the other episode, too. Yeah. Well, either way, these two don't look threatening at all. No. No. Real pleasant, nice guys. Right. But they do watch Clark as he kind of runs down the street. <laughs> right. And that's when we see that the – and I thought, always thought it here, the way he's running down the street, that he's going to turn into Superman. But Mrs. Daisy uh, starts shooting at something, and nope, it's still Clark. And she tells him he's shooting a rat. She's shooting a rabbit. And right. um, I think this is the point where Clark has had enough. Because mm-hmm. he, he really put it to Mrs. Daisy pretty hard. He wanted, you know, especially once he found Lois wasn't there. He wants the answers and he wants it now. Whenever Clark notices Lois or somebody's in trouble, he gets very tense and he starts talking really fast and gets kind of hyper. Yeah. Last week's episode, Rescue, the one with the mine. Oh, that's a great episode, Lois. That's a really good Lois episode. I was a little hard on Lois in that episode. Were you really? Yeah. Because she was being really stupid? Yes, that was pretty much why. (laughs) Yeah, but boy, did she look good. Yeah, well, she did. Well, anyway, what I was saying about that episode was how Clark just kind of cruises up. He's going, right, because he didn't tell, know she was in He there. had no idea. They tell him, yeah, this is happening. They go, like, oh, yeah, that's too bad. He's like, and then the minute he finds out Lois is in trouble, what? Right. And then off he goes. Same thing here. Now, after this is when we see Superman for the first time. And obviously, we know that. The guy in the hazmat suit is behind this because we've been seeing the hazmat suit, but we haven't been seeing who's behind it. Right. We don't know who's wearing the suit. I don't know where the big footprints are coming. Maybe he's wearing some. He's wearing big big boots. boots. Yeah. They only usually show him in long shots or from the waist up to be scary or something. Right. And this is where they go into the. He changes back to Clark when he finds Lois. Right. And this is when he finds the drill core and he's trying to send Lois away. So why was he changed into Superman in the first place? I asked that question during a lot of episodes. Yeah, because he basically was just changed to Superman to go from the scene, just to change scene, to go from that scene to this scene, to get to the cave. But he didn't need to fly to get to the cave. No. He just needed to run around the other side and go down to the cave like everybody else was doing. But then when he saw Lois in there, he changed back to Clark. Right. And guess this is when they find the the drilling sticks. Yeah, it, it is. And he's trying to send her away. Right. And this Without is, this, giving her more information. Again, again, another opportunity. Tell her what's going on. The two of you could work together. We know why he doesn't want to work. <laughs> right. But he wants to go and change into Superman. But he was already Superman. I don't know why he changed back. Exactly. I guess he didn't want her to know Superman was there and on the job yet. Eh, I guess not. But now that he's found these sticks and now he's trying to get away to say, hey, I can go have these things analyzed by myself quicker than with you. So you go back to this other town and wait for me like a good little girl. Yeah, in a pig's eye. Right. And she refuses Clark. But right. what if Superman had told her to do it? She wouldn't have. She would have done the exact same thing. She would not have changed. Lois would have still gone for the story anyway. She would have still tried to figure out what. It didn't matter who told her to sit here and wait. She's not going to sit and wait. It's not in her nature. Well, he wanted her to leave town. Exactly. She would not leave town. That's what I'm saying. She would She would have done, 
whether Clark or Superman told her. But she wouldn't unless, have, she wouldn't have argued with Superman enough as much. Uh, no, she probably wouldn't have argued. She'd have probably said fine. And then when he flew off, she'd have said right. in a pig's eye and gone after the story or whatever. Yeah, that's that's what I think. Yeah, so she accused him of, of wanting the story to himself, and he just wanted to go away so we could turn back into Superman. But I love, you know, I love the exchange where he makes her promise that she's going to leave town and go to Havenhurst, I believe it was. <laughs> and she's leaning away. I promise, mm-hmm. and that he takes it as one. And she says nothing after he runs off. Right. You know, classic Lois. She goes right back into the cave. Right back into the cave and gets in all kinds of trouble. Right. And she finds something. And is that the dog's collar that she finds there? That's what it looked like to me. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was the collar or something from the dog. Right. And we get a great Phyllis Coat scream. Oh, yeah. Well, yes, we do. We got a couple. Yeah, we do. Do- and then Dr. Jessup comes in, who is completely ineffectual. And Superman comes right back as Mrs. Tazy comes to help. And she looks like she could take care of business. Yeah, I think she could. And that's somebody else you should look up at IMDb on. She's uh, <clears throat> she's done quite a lot of work. And then after she comes in, the uh, drugstore owner comes in. And then all that's left is now for Superman to clear out, uh, take care of business. He takes out both people. He reveals the guy in the hazmat suit to be Alvin. And I love how Superman drags Alvin and Godfrey out of the cave <laughs> right. by their collars. <laughs> right. Right. But that's George actually dragging two grown men all by himself. And it doesn't look like he's getting any help from any kind of special rigging. No help, no rigging. That's him dragging two men. Maybe they're helping him a little bit by moving their feet a little bit. Maybe, but not much. Not much. He is doing the work. Yeah, that's George just dragging two men. Yeah. And then we get the atomic exposition to uh, end the episode. Right. We find out what the plot was. They were trying to sell off the hydrazite and make millions. So it all comes back to used in a new hydrogen bomb. Right. Oh my. That's that. Yay. And Lois finds Clark at the sign writing in the population again. <laughs> and I'm not sure how he, if he has any information about anybody coming back, but yeah, I don't know. I assume they were counting the operator as five as the fifth person there. Because well, we had the four main, we had the doctor, Alvin, the son, uh, we had the doctor, the pharmacist, the son, and the old lady, and the phone operator. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, she was five. She must have been five, because who else? There was no other adults, and the sign started with five. And when he, uh, we assume, he arrested the father and the son for unless they, Unless they counted the dog. You think the dog would have been counted as a citizen of the town? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. So... So when Clark was writing a three there on the population, meaning two people gone. Right, he was just subtracting Godfrey and uh, And Alvin. the son and Alvin, Godfrey and Alvin, because they're the ones that are going to get, they're going to go to jail or whatever. So now there's three left. Well, but, no, but he, he erased the lines on the five and the two. So he's writing the population as 523. So he's you think assuming, he's, he's assuming the rest of the town will come back. Right. So I was seeing it as just a three in place of the five. And you're saying he actually erased the whole number or made the X's so that the, the full town. He made it look like it was 523. Instead of 525. That's how I read it. Okay. But either way, two guys went down. They did. And who was the five? 
Oh, that's right. So we're going to say the whole town is coming back. I'm going to say it was the operator. I'm going to say it was the operator. Okay. Well, we can say it was the operator. It was the operator. So, got anything else for this one? <laughs> no, no. I think that was a fun one. I enjoyed it. Nice little spooky mystery. Because we didn't make it as spooky as it as it was. And if you're a little kid watching this the first time, uh, it's kind of spooky. The guy in the hazmat suit kind of doing a Frankenstein walk and dogs dying and spooky kind of mist and the fog and everybody's scared and Lois is all trembly and Clark is saying, don't go there. It's you, you get all worked up. So good episode. Yes, it is. So, Bob, why don't you tell the good listeners where they can find you? You can find me over at the Superman Forever radio podcast. That's my main podcast, supermanforever.com. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm also doing a, a monthly show with John M. Wilson now, doing the Giant Superman podcast, where we take a look at the Silver Age through those great 80-page giants. But you can get to me, really, supermanforever.com. And on Facebook, Bob Fisher. All right. And I can be found at... Hanging around the Facebook group for the show. Just find that by searching for Man of Screen Podcast. You can also send the show an email. Feedback is always welcome. You can be reached there at manofscreen at gmail.com. Or you can send me an iTunes review. That helps people find the show. So, next time, Bob will be back. And we're going to cover the next Yay. two episodes. The Stolen Costume. All right. And Treasure of the Incas. Woohoo! So, until next time, for Bob Fisher, this is Mike Zumo. Take care, everybody. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show or for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.automatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.